We are so glad that you joined us today. We know that God wants to do something great in you and through you, and we want to hear about it. So if you can take a moment and share with us your story in the City Chapel app in the Amen Corner. Thanks again for joining us today. We hope you enjoy today's message. Right now as we jump into the final week um, of, of this sermon series that we're calling Just Dig. Sometimes in life you have to just dig. Sometimes you have to, uh, you, you can't always explain everything. You can't always figure everything out. You can't always feel what you think you ought to be feeling, but sometimes you have to just dig. And there's a passage in 2 Kings chapter 3 that really uh, sort of lays out for us a picture of that season of life. And I think many of us are in that season of life. I shared on the first week of this sermon series that um, I hadn't really shared it with you all with the church, but in the beginning of the year, I I always pray for a word from the Lord for the entire year. And so um, I I pray for it because, because for me, I'm not very smart. So some pastors are, are brilliant, and they just come up with all these great ideas throughout the year. Me, God has to, like, hold my hand and uh, really, really help me out because I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed. I need a little help from him. And so I, he's, he's got to be obvious with me. He's got to be explicit. Like, I need a specific word from him for the year that I can, that I can go off of, that I can use. And, and I would encourage you all to do the same. It's not just for a church. It's for a family. It's for an individual. Even when I was single, I was, I was asking the Lord in the beginning of January, take some time just to pray and say, God, what do you want to do inside of me this year? What do you want to do through me? And oftentimes the word he would give me at the beginning of the year, I just wouldn't quite understand it. You know, like uh, he would give me a word and I would think one thing and then the, the year would go a whole nother direction and it still fulfilled his word, but it was just, it was just in an unexpected way. And that's because even though God does have mercy on me and he wants to help me out, he doesn't ever give me the blueprints to what he's doing. But he does give me clues. And the clue he gave me at the beginning of the year was that this was going to be a year of breakthrough. This is going to be a year of breakthrough. And I, 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 I was hesitant to, to share that with you all because it's such a preacher thing to say. <laughs> so many preachers say that. Maybe it's just in my circles, but I mean, folks on TV and things that I've heard, a lot of people are like, you know, it's about to be breakthrough for you and it's awesome and people get all excited and that, that's fine and all, but I just, I don't know. So, sometimes I don't like to say the same things everybody else is saying. And so I said, Lord, that'd be great, but could you give me a little more hipster of a word, like something cooler, you know, something not so mainstream, like I don't want to, you know, and he, he just wouldn't do it. It was, you know, it was just breakthrough. And, and so even as I was praying at the beginning of the year, God began just, just speaking to me about different individuals, actually, who I wasn't even praying about. And he says, this person is going to experience breakthrough uh, in, with regard to relationships. This person is going to experience breakthrough in their finances. This person. And I, I just began seeing that. And I said, well, that's, that's great, God. But, you know, what do you want me to do about that um, as their pastor? Should I just run around and, 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 you know, just tell them the good news? And I really didn't feel the release to do that. I didn't feel the release just to, just to blurt out everything. Never, never say everything you know. That's, that's what I've learned. Um, I have the spiritual gift of looking dumber than I actually am. And so you, I just have that gift, you know, and it's great because you sneak up on, you surprise people, you know. And so I, you just never say everything that, you know, so I just kept a lot of things like sort of just, just to myself and just prayed about it. And, and yet as the year has gone on, as I've prayed over each sermon series, you can see actually over the last six months how each sermon series is kind of building on this idea of breakthrough. And what God has been doing, at least in me, has been taking me, okay, uh, he's been rewinding. He's been saying, okay, there's, a, there's coming a moment of breakthrough, but before the breakthrough, there is this, this time of buildup. There is a buildup that escalates to a point of breakthrough. 
Now, breakthrough is not just simply something that you put your faith in and suddenly you, you receive breakthrough. It's, it doesn't quite work out that way. I, I know sometimes it looks like that, sort of like when the chicken cracks through the shell of the egg. You know, it looks like, oh my goodness, he just one day decided to get out of that egg, you know? And it, it looks like that, but what, but what you couldn't see inside of the egg was this tiny little embryo that grew and grew and grew and grew and grew and grew and grew. And the breakthrough that you saw was really the, the result of a process that had been happening under the surface for quite some time. This is true in positive things. This is also true in negative things. This is true... With, 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 with regard to strong marriages, this is also true with regard to divorce. It's never just one thing. It's never just one moment. It's never just the thing that you see. There's a lot of things under the surface that are either working toward breakthrough or working toward bondage. You're either moving in one of the two directions. And so I, I feel like if God's going to bring several of us to this place of breakthrough and even our church to a point of breakthrough, we have to master the buildup. We have to understand the background. We have to understand the process that, that, that matures you into a place of breakthrough. God will never move you uh, to, to, to a new position until, until you become uh, uh, obsolete in the position that you're in. Until you become overqualified for your current job, God's not going to give you a promotion. You have to become over. Qualified. You have to grow out of, grow out of the place that you're in. And, and, and so this is the healthy way for breakthrough. This is the healthy way that God wants us to experience breakthrough. And the people of Israel in the book of 2 Kings, honestly, the book of 2 Kings is a, is a, is a chronological testimony of how not to do life, of how not uh, to prioritize things. Really, all of Second Kings is this, it's this progressive movement of the people of Israel right on. They keep rebelling against God. They kind of do a little good, and then they rebel against God, and they turn away from God, and they flip their priorities, and they, they pursue other things. They pursue riches. They pursue wealth. They pursue uh, uh, alliances with other people. They pursue relationships. They don't pursue God, and, it's just, and the whole book is just this, 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 this descent down into bondage. But in the beginning of the book, in chapter 3, we see this glimmer of, of hope. We see these three kings in the middle of a valley. And God, I feel like God, at the, near the beginning of the book, he's just drawing a, uh, a parable uh, for the reader to understand how things could have been, to understand what he desired for his people, to understand what he still holds out for all of us, what he still offers to all of us. And in 2 Kings chapter 3, uh, we'll start off with uh, King Jehoram, who's the king of Israel. Uh, Israel and Judah, the kingdoms are both divided now. There's the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. Jehoram uh, went out of Samaria at that time and mustered all of Israel. So he musters his entire uh, army. And he went and sent to Jehoshaphat, who's the king of Judah, saying, the king of Moab has rebelled against me. Will you go with me to fight against Moab? And uh, Jehoshaphat says, I will go up. I am as you are, my people as your people, my horses as your horses. Then he said, which way? Jehoshaphat says, which way shall we go up? And so he answered him, and he says, by the way of Edom. So the king of Israel went with the king of Judah and the king of Edom, and they marched on that roundabout way, that roundabout route. So we talked about this the first week, how if you look at a map, what they're doing is they're, they're taking the long way around in order to, to have a surprise attack on Edom uh, or on, on Moab through Edom, through the desert of Edom. And so they, they march on this roundabout route for seven days 
and there was no water for the army. <laughs> Whoops, somebody forgot to bring water. There wasn't water for the army, nor the animals that followed them. And the king of Israel said, alas, uh, I like the NIV, it says, what? <laughs> the king of Israel is shocked. I mean, it, 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 it's kind of a disappointment when you get that far. When you, when you have this brilliant plan, you make this great alliance with three kings. They didn't have to fight with you. They decide to fight with you toward your enemy. The king of Edom allows you to go through his property, through his country, through the desert. I mean, you have this brilliant scheme, and then you forget the water. The shock in his voice is so evident. He says, what? How? How did we remember the swords and forget the water? How do we remember the armor and forget the water? The Lord, he says, the Lord has called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. That's so much like us. Uh, God didn't pack my lunch? What? Lord, come on. I thought, I thought how you were going to take care of everything. But he says, no, the Lord must have brought us out here to kill us. But Jehoshaphat says to him, there's a different perspective. He says, is there no, no prophet of the Lord here? that we may inquire of the Lord by him. So one of the servants of the king of Israel answered and said, There is Elisha, the son of um, Shaphat, who is here. And he poured water on the hands of Elijah. Uh, this is Elisha. It's different than Elijah. Elisha is his, his servant. And so Jehoshaphat said, The word of the Lord is, in fact, with him. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom went down to him. And Elisha said to the king of Israel, he hadn't had his coffee yet that, that morning. So he says, what do I have to do with you? Go to the prophets of your father and the prophets of your mother. In other words, don't come to God only when you're in trouble. But the king of Israel said to him, no, because the Lord has called these three kings to go to deliver them in the hand of Moab. And so Elisha said, as the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, surely were it not that I regard the presence of Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, I would not look at you nor see you. But now bring me a musician. And it happened when the musician played that the hand of the Lord came upon him. And he said, and this has been our anchor text. He said, thus says the Lord, make this valley full of ditches. God gives a command in verse 16. Make this valley full of ditches. That's why we've been talking about digging. Because they had to dig in the valley that they were in. First week we talked about actually valuing the valley. How sometimes uh, your enemy is preventing you, but God is actually protecting you. Because um, what they didn't know is that the army of Moab had been tipped off to their secret plan, and they were waiting on the other side of that valley. And so they're stuck in the valley, and, and of course, uh, the king uh, Jehoram, his, his, his first instinct is to complain. Uh, complain about being stuck. Complain about his plans being disrupted. Uh, but there is great value in the valley. Sometimes God makes you stop. Uh, the Bible says the, the, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. I think also the stops of a good man are ordered by the Lord. And so sometimes God makes you stop in the middle of the valley. And so you have to value that. But then also the next week we talked about how, how really what they were doing was they were prioritizing water. Uh, we have to prioritize your spiritual health more so ju than just some victory that you're after. You have to, your vitality is more important than your victory. In fact, if you try to fight thirsty, you'll always lose. You have to have the water of the Holy Spirit in your life. And God will shut down other things when you stop getting water. <laughs> Just FYI. Out of mercy, he will shut down your plans for warfare when you are out of water. Because he knows that you will, you're going to get obliterated. Out of his mercy, he will hold you back from where you want to go until you learn how to survive where you're at. 
He wants you to have health. He's more concerned with what's going on. He doesn't care that the army looks ready to fight. He knows that they're thirsty. He doesn't care that everything looks good on the outside of your life. He knows where you're thirsty, and, he, and he's more concerned with your inside than with your outside. And he's more concerned with your vitality than with your perception of victory. And so he will hold you back. He will shut things down. And then and the last, last week that, that I preached, I talked about how, how, how when, when, when after they had prioritized water, they, they then had to start digging, and they had to dig all night long. So there's some persistence, there's some perseverance of, of digging in prayer, digging and reading your scripture, uh, reading the Bible. Uh, you know, when, when, whenever you're digging in the physical world, you dig uh, until you hit something. Whenever you're digging in the Bible, you dig until something hits you. So that's just, that's not a part of my notes. That's just something extra because um, I thought it was cute. But just keep digging. Like, that's the point. Like, you might not understand it, but just keep reading. You might not hear anything when you pray, but just keep praying. And uh, you have to continue to dig all night. You have to be able to dig in the dark. You have to be able to dig when people aren't watching and aren't, aren't applauding anymore. Because you, you, you can't serve God for very long before you start getting some critics. You start losing some friends and gaining some critics. And some people are going to think you're doing things the wrong way. But you have to be able to dig even when nobody is watching or applauding or patting you on the back. You have to dig in the dark. And that's what they did. In verse uh, 16, God gives them a commandment. In verse 17... He gives them a promise. He says, for thus says the Lord, you're not going to see rain or clouds, but this valley will be filled with water so that you and your cattle and your animals may drink. God gives them this, this, this promise. Verse 18, it says, and this is a simple matter in the sight of the Lord. This is a simple matter in the sight of the Lord. Of the Lord. This is a simple matter in the sight of the Lord. I'm, I'm saying that for emphasis until I see that some light bulbs go on and people say, oh, okay. He's not saying it's a simple matter. He's not trivializing their situation. He's not saying that, that this is a light uh, thing that they're facing or an easy thing that they're facing. He's saying this is a simple matter in the eyes of the Lord. He's, he's offering them a different perspective. And this is, the, this is the beauty of God, that God not only, I mean, God gives them a command, right? And that would be enough. God gives you a command, and you say, yes, sir, we go do it. He says, make this valley full of ditches. Yes, sir, we're going to go start digging. He could have just did that, but instead, along with the command, he gives them a promise. He says, by the way, if you will make this valley full of ditches, I will fill up your ditches with water. He gives them this, this, this amazing promise. And, he, and then he even tells them a little bit about the process. He says it's not going to come via rain. It's not going to come via the clouds. Why would he tell them that? Because he doesn't want them to get discouraged in the process. He wants them to know, okay, while you're digging, you're looking up at the sky and you're not seeing any clouds, that's okay because it's not coming from the clouds. Now, he doesn't tell them where it is coming from. He simply knows what they would naturally expect. And he tells them, by the way, it's not going to be the way you expect. And I would suggest to each and every one of you today that when God makes promises to you, that when he calls you to do something, you can guarantee that it's not going to be the way you expect. And he's gracious to tell us that at the very beginning because he doesn't want us to get discouraged in the process. He says, when, when you're digging and you're looking up and you can see the clear sky and the stars and the moon and there's no wind and there's no rain, that's okay because it's not going to happen that way anyway. 
And so in the process, he wants to encourage them. And then he gives them verse 18, this other verse that he doesn't have to say at all. He says, by the way, I want you to know that this is a simple matter. This is a light matter. Actually, in the, in the original Hebrew, this is a light. This is not a heavy thing. This is a light matter in the sight of the Lord. And why would he tell them that? Why would he tell them how he views the situation? Because right now, all they can think is how they view the situation. And oftentimes when God calls us to do something, we see it from a certain perspective. We see it from our perspective. But God wants us to have a higher perspective so that we can get our hopes up. So that, what, what, what is he doing? He's, he's elevating their expectation. He's upping their expectations. He's telling them, this is not difficult. I've done a lot harder things than this in my time. This is not hard for me. This is not heavy for me. This isn't going to take a lot of thinking. I really don't have to rearrange my schedule for this. This is very easy. And he's not telling them that to show off. He's not telling them that to be like, yeah, well, I'm so awesome. I don't have to worry about it. It's tough for you, isn't it? He's not, he's not trying to be mean to them. He's not trying to be belittling to them. He's letting them know that from where he sits, that from his perspective, it's, it's, it's a small thing. And this is, this, is, this is what happens when you change perspective, when you elevate perspective, right? I got on a plane last week, last Sunday. Um, uh, I introduced our, our, our kids pastor, Eddie, and then I grabbed my brother, ran down off the stage, grabbed my brother. You guys all played games and had fun and, and all that kind of thing. But we uh, made a trip to the Austin airport, got on an airplane, and we flew up um, because my uncle passed away last week. And so my uncle, uh, my, uh, on my mom's side, she has, uh, there's seven kids, and grandma's still alive. She's 93, I think. And uh, my uncle John passed away last week. He lost a battle to cancer, uh, about 11 months of pancreatic cancer. And it was, uh, it was, a, it was a horrible, I mean, everybody was, was praying just for the suffering to end kind of thing. Um, he was 69 years old. And, um, and, and so we flew up. We got to fly up uh, for, the, for, for the, the viewing on Sunday night. And then uh, the funeral on, on, on Monday morning. And, uh, you know, you take off. I've been in airplanes just a whole lot. And uh, you, I, I always have a tradition of opening the window and looking out the window while I take off. Because it's just, it's just it's kind of cool to watch your perspective shift, you know. You go from seeing regular houses and regular cars to seeing toy houses and toy cars, right? And it's just kind of cool. It's kind of like, um, I don't know, what's that? What's that? that the Mr. Rogers. Remember Mr. Rogers and the little train trolley would take you in there? Like, that was my favorite part of Mr. Rogers, the, the trolley that would go into the Neverland or make-believe land or someplace. I don't know. And they go, ding, ding, and they take you to the, cause all, the, all these little pretend things. Like, I've always been fascinated by that. And so, so I love getting that, getting that different perspective. And I kind of feel like that's what God's doing right now. He's, he's lifting their eyes, and he's saying, from my vantage point, from my perspective, this is a little thing. And I think and I think if we are going to uh, receive the, uh, the things that God has for us, and even if we're going to keep digging, because the sermon series may be over, but many of us are still right in the middle, middle of the valley, and we're still digging, and there hasn't been any rain yet. And I feel like if you're going to keep digging, you're going to have to learn how to elevate your expectations. You're going to have to learn how to expect God to do what he said that he's going to do. So my sermon title today, 
uh, halfway into the sermon. I want you to help me announce it to the person next to you. I'm actually stealing it from William Carey, 1792. This was the title of his sermon. It's the only part of his sermon I'm stealing, I promise. Um, but this is a statement, and this was the title of his sermon, that, by the way, he preached to a bunch of uh, Baptist folks in England and trying to get them to go to the West Indies to be missionaries. And a lot of them wouldn't go because they said, well, if God wants them to get saved, they'll get saved. But William Carey said, no, God's sending people to go tell them about the gospel. And he founded what is now known as the Protestant uh, Missionary Movement. I mean, he was the father of missionaries. This was the title of his sermon to try to stir them up. Okay, so this is, this is big stuff. Historically, almost 200 in some years. I mean, this is kind of... So look at the person next to you. You're not even getting ready. Are you here? Okay, all right. So, so go ahead. I, sorry, I just now saw you. Uh, go, go, go ahead and turn to the person next to you. <laughs> Welcome, good to see you. Uh, uh, look at the person next to you and just, and just, and just, just announce my sermon title. And, and this is it. He says, he said, expect great things from God. That's the first half of it. All right, the first half, that's pretty good. So try it again. Expect great things from God. And the second part was attempt great things for God. All right, so one more time, this is the statement that William Carey used as his pivotal moment, 1792, to launch the mission to the West Indies. Look at each other and say this. Say, expect great things from God and attempt great things for God. You see, and I think it works the other way, too. If you expect little things from God, you will attempt little things for God. And so your expectation, you got to get your hopes up. You got to get, I, I, I know people told you to keep your hopes down. Don't let your hope, but, but seriously, if you let your hopes get down, if your hopes go down, that's when you start to get depressed. That's when you start to get weary. That's when you start, everything starts bothering you. Look, look, your, your experience will rise or fall to the level of your expectation. The level of your expectation will dictate the level of your experience. More often than not, if you expect to be rejected by people, you will be rejected by people. If you expect to be, to be forsaken by people, you will be forsaken. If you're in a marriage and you expect to get divorced, you will get divorced. If you're in a church and you expect to get offended, hello, you will get offended. Somebody will look at you funny and send you a text or a message or something. It will mean your expectation will set the level of your experience. It's true in the negative. It's also true in the positive. If you expect God to work in your life and to move in your life, God will work in your life and move in your life. If you expect God to provide for you, God will provide for you. If you expect God to take care of your family, God will take care of your family. I'm living proof that if you put your expectations on the word of God and on the person of Jesus Christ, he will not let you down, but he will come through every single time. Your expectation sets an environment for your experiences. The experiences of your life will follow the expectation of your heart. So you have to learn how in the middle of the night, in the middle of the digging, before the rain comes, you have to learn to believe that God is in fact going to do what he said he would do before he does it. This is the way to receive. This is the way to experience. It's expectations. And by, and by the way, I don't mean like fake. I don't mean like being fake. I know some people like, like they won't even say that, that they're sick. You know, like, they're, like they're, they're, they're puking in the toilet and they're like, oh, I'm not sick. I just have the symptoms of sickness. 
So what's the difference exactly? Could, I, could we explain that? Some, could somebody tell me the difference between actually being sick and acting like you're sick? Because it kind of feels the same to me. But they're afraid that, that if they confess it, that it'll somehow like solidify it, and it, that means that they don't have any faith. Faith is not denying facts. Faith is not looking away and pretending that, that, that your uncle doesn't have cancer. Faith is not pretending that everything is just all going to work out in the end somehow, some way. I don't know. No, faith is, 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 is looking at the facts, but measuring the facts based on what God has said from the perspective of God. To say yes, 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 losing a job, losing a loved one, losing whatever it is I have lost. This is a very difficult thing, and this is a hard thing for me. But this is a little thing for God. This is a tiny thing for Him. This is a blip on His count. Based upon His capacity, this is so small for Him. You have, to, you, you have to understand that the perspective is everything. The perspective that you take into your situation, the perspective that you take into your drought, the perspective that you take even into your obedience of digging. God, God speaks to them and says, yeah, you're going to start digging and it's going to be difficult, but I want you to know it's not coming by the clouds, so don't bother looking up. Just keep digging, okay? So, and so, so they do that, but then he says, and I want you to know that this is a little thing for me. In fact, I would suggest that most of Scripture has been written so that we would know what a little thing is to God. I mean, you know, like Genesis chapter 1, for instance. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. It could have just ended right there and gone into the story of Adam and Eve and yada, yada, yada. But instead, he, the Bible goes into in, like, detail about how he did each thing, and he spoke this into existence, and he spoke that into existence, and he spoke that, and then he divided that, and then he added and subtracted that, and, 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 and he never got into geometry because he's a good God. And, and he, just, he just, you know, is stuck with algebra. And uh, he just kind of like did some, and it didn't even do long division. You know what I'm saying? It was just like, I'll divide that with from that. That's what I'm talking about. I can handle that. And he goes through, and he just, and he starts speaking animals into existence and birds and stuff and trees and, and setting the boundary for the lakes and the seas and the oceans and all this kind of thing and adjusting the earth on its axis. I mean, he's doing all of these things. Why? Why is God telling us about this? So that, so, so that we can ask him to create new worlds for us, right? <laughs> no. He probably wants us to take care of the one we got, but he's not necessarily making new worlds for us. He's telling us these things so that we can know a little bit of his capability. Much of scripture is written down as a testimony of the capability of God. I mean, the capacity not that, not that you need him to create a world. Not that you need him to set boundaries of oceans and all that kind of stuff. I don't even understand how that works. But, but, but it's just like so far beyond what you need. But it's just, it's just a little taste of this is, this is the, a little bit of the scope of what he's capable of. And he wants you to know. Nobody was there to applaud him. Nobody was there to give him a high five. In fact, he's the one who said, that's good. Wow, that's good. That's really, he, he just, he just, you know, had to amen himself occasionally. You know what I'm saying? Like, because there was nobody else there to, to notice how awesome he was. And he was just, he was just doing stuff. But, he, but he, he shared it with Moses who wrote it down in the Torah so that we would have it today. So we would know how great he is. Because if you're going to expect great things from God, you have to know that he is a great God. And that he does great things. And that he does wondrous things. And that he does things way beyond what you need. That what you need 
is to him. Not, not, he knows it's not to you, but to him, it is a light thing. It is a small thing. You have to raise your expectations to the level of his capacity. Not only to elevate uh, your perspective, but, but also to expand what you are currently doing. What, they, what, what God was asking them to do, they needed water and God was asking them to dig. Not dig down to water, but simply dig ditches, fill the valley full of these little ditches so that, God says, he's going to send water. Not from rain, but some other way. Water is going to flow into the valley. And if you have ditches, you'll be able to retain what you receive. What he's asking them to do is to act on their expectations. And that's what William Carey was asking the church in England to do. Expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. If, you, if, you, if God really is as great as we say he is, if he really is as powerful as we say he is, if he really is as concerned with the lost, if he really is uh, unwilling that any should perish, guys, shouldn't we? Shouldn't we attempt great things for him? Can we not stand out on the precipice of faith and step into the darkness with full confidence that he who called us is faithful. He who called us is able. That's what William Carey was saying. He said, he said can't we, can, can, can we attempt great things for him? It does no good to simply expect great things from him if you don't attempt great things for him. And this is what God's saying. God's saying, I want you to start digging. Start digging. Why? Well, because water's coming. And so you're going to do this great thing all night long. You're going to create an entire reservoir in a valley to be able to hold the blessing I'm about to pour out on you. And there's no, there's, there's no rain. There's no clouds. You just have to do it. It reminds me of Isaiah 54. If we could put the scripture up in Isaiah 54, God prophetically speaks um, to his people through the prophet Isaiah. And this is what he says. Uh, he, he says, uh, if we have it, he says, sing, O barren one. Now, you have to understand, this is a time in which being barren was one of the worst things for a woman. But sing, O barren, you who have not born children, break forth into singing and cry aloud, like shout, like start, start celebrating, you who have not labored with child. Why? For more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married woman, said the Lord. What? He's obviously not talking about in the moment because the barren woman is barren because she doesn't have kids. So it's not like she's hiding kids somewhere in her house. He says, but God says, I want you to start celebrating. I want you to throw a, a, a party, right? I want you to have a baby shower for the baby. Now, now, now it's easy with, with Candace, who's three days away from, from giving birth. It's easy for her to get excited and, yeah, people to get excited for her because pretty soon little baby's going to be joining. They probably have the room all ready and... And yeah, all that kind of stuff, like pillows and blankets, the, the hospital and all that. Like they're all ready to go. It's, it's easy when you start seeing the evidence of the, sorry, the, the evidence of, of, of what God is, is to, I've never been pregnant, so I don't really know how that works. Um, but 
I figure you should err on this side. Start seeing the evidence of, of, of what God, I mean, you know, it's easy to get your hopes up then. It's easy to get excited then. But what God's saying is while you're barren, and I don't know who I'm talking to today, but maybe you're, maybe you're not looking for kids, but maybe you're looking for a job. Maybe you're looking for finances. Maybe you're looking for a relationship. Maybe all of your friends are married, your friends' friends are married, and you're, you know, past the age, and your friend's 15-year-old daughter's married. And, I mean, you, like, you don't still have a ring. Like, this is what he says right here. He says, he says, to you who are barren, and I don't know what kind of barrenness you're dealing with, but he says, to you who are barren, I want you to start to rejoice and to sing, to break forth into singing, and then I want you to act on this joy. I want you to enlarge the place of your tent. And let them stretch out the curtains of your dwellings. In other words, build a baby room. Get ready for the fruit that's about to come. Get ready for the thing that's about to happen. Don't spare. Don't slow down. Lengthen the cords. Strengthen your stakes because you will expand to the right and to the left. And your descendants will inherit the nations and make this desolate cities inhabited. God always has a way of coming to people who are in barrenness. And telling them to see things from his perspective. Because he's not stuck in time. He's never had to wait for anything. He's literally never had to wait for anything. He's never had to remember anything either. Because time is within him. He, he's, he's literally everywhere at once, all time periods at once. He sees it all as, 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 as present. He's the eternal present. And so when he comes to you and he says, rejoice, look at all your kids. And you're like, I, I can't have kids. I don't have kids. What are you talking about? He's not making stuff up. He's not being hopeful. He's not like really hope someday you're going to have. No, he's been there. He's seen the kids. He knows their names. He knows the, their eye color. Like he, 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 he sees them. He's, talk, he's talking to them. He's hearing their prayers at the same time that he's hearing your prayers. He, like at the end, like, because to him, he doesn't have to fast forward or rewind. He's just, he's just there in the present eternally. And so that's why he can come to the barren one and say, I want you to rejoice for what's coming. You don't know what's coming, but my perspective says there is fruit coming. And it was, and that's, and that's really, that's really what we're after. Uh, when I went home, uh, and uh, we were we we went to the funeral, um, had a whole bunch of fried chicken left over. The, the the church made fried chicken for us, and so they gave us this big old thing of fried chicken, this massive thing. And uh, so all the aunts are arguing about who like I don't want it, I don't want it. Now you take it. Now you, so finally, mom got stuck with it, and um, so we went back to like her aunt, her 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 sister's houses and so a bunch of family was all sitting around and we had this big thing of fried chicken they're all like what are we gonna do with all this fried chicken i'm not gonna eat it all and um and i said well isn't there some kind of homeless like population around here i haven't been in port here for a while uh, i grew up there but i haven't been in port here in michigan for a while and so i said isn't there some kind of like a, some bridge because i'm used to austin there's some bridge we can go and just hand this stuff out i mean something and uh they were like well maybe a soup kitchen i don't know and so we started looking and uh, she, uh, uh, I think it was mom, talked to one of our cousins who had t taken some food to a soup kitchen. I said, well, great. Well, you know, tell me the address. I'll drive this stuff to the soup kitchen. So I, I got in the truck, and, and, I, and I drove it to the soup kitchen, and uh, I asked him. I said, hey, we have some, you know, 
had a funeral today. We have some leftover fried chicken. Do you guys need any? Yeah, we're about to run out. And so they had about 20 people there at the soup kitchen eating. And it was, it was cool. It was right down in, in, the, in the low-income area of Port Huron, kind of where the drugs are and where, where the crime is. And it's just not a very nice neighborhood. And uh, so I passed it off St. Martin's Lutheran Church. And I drive around the corner. And, 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 and that's when I saw that this, this church was exactly about a block and a half away from the church uh, that I grew up in. When we were 10 years old, we helped start a church uh, in Port Huron. Uh, we, we met in the pastor's living room for a couple of years, and we met in the YMCA, set up and tore down every Sunday. Uh, it's training me for this. And then after that, uh, we got this building, this big, beautiful building, uh, right down in the middle of Shadyville, Port Huron. And uh, we, 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 we were right down there. And I, I drove by and said, oh, so many great members of the building, so many great members of the church. And it, and it really was a great place for me and for my family. We never, the church never really grew, though, very much. We had about 30 people. And, and I just drove by, and, I, and, 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 and that, that's when it just kind of hit me that this is about a block and a half from St. Martin's Lutheran Church, who, who's, who's hosting this soup kitchen for, for, for poor people, like right there. And I saw so many people walking the streets, and, and you could tell it was quite different from where my aunt lives uptown in the nicer area of town. And I just got really emotional. I don't know if it's just because my uncle just passed away. We just buried him. I don't know. But, but I, I, I couldn't remember us ever doing anything for the community that we were in. I don't remember anybody from the community actually becoming part of our church. None of us lived there, like, that I know of when we started the church there. And, and I don't remember anybody getting saved from the community and becoming part of the church. One time, I remember going door to door. We were asking money for a walkathon we were doing to raise money for the building. And so the one time I remember actually talking to those neighbors, I was asking them for money to pay for a building that wasn't blessing them at all. It was just hanging out there. And I just, I don't know, it just, it just broke my heart that, that for, I was there for nine years. We were there for nine years. The church continued for another, uh, I think, 12 years after we left. I was 23. I mean, and I don't remember ever doing anything for that community. And we were faithful, but we weren't very fruitful. And somehow we patted ourselves on the back for being faithful. But Jesus said, when you come before the Father, he's going to say, well done, not well said or well, well taught or well preached. Well done, my good and, my good and faithful, my good. And if, if you're faithfully losing, that's not good. If you're being faithful to build walls around yourself and your community and make sure you never have to go out of those walls and interact with anybody out there, that's not good. If you're faithfully just holding out to the bitter end whenever Jesus comes back, why are you alive? Like, why are you breathing? Why are you still on this planet? If you're saved, why doesn't God just kill you right now, take you to heaven? If that's what you're waiting for, if you're just going to hold out and be faithful until you get to heaven, what are you doing here? You're wasting space. <laughs> you're, you're using, a, I mean, you're... you're you're creating traffic on I-35 that doesn't need to be there. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's not, it's like, I'm saved, I'm going to heaven. Ah, oh, it's wonderful, but what are you, are you fruitful? I mean, it's great to be faithful. It's great to hold out and believe and have this great theology and teach people and just be steadfast and remind yourselves all the time about how right you are and how wrong everybody else is. But at some point, if there's no fruit coming out of your faithfulness, your faithfulness isn't worth very much. 
And maybe it's just because I just came from a funeral. But when you lower that casket, I don't think anybody cares. Because you're going to one of two places, heaven or hell. My uncle is in one of two places. There's no options in between. There's nothing else. It's heaven forever or hell forever. And that's if that is true, if that is a reality, can the church afford can the church afford to keep our expectations of God way down here and keep our attempts for God way down here and hope that somehow along the way he just saves everybody that we're too busy and distracted to care about? At some point, man, like City Chapel does not exist to make you comfortable does not exist to make sure you have a circle of friends that you always feel just warm and fuzzy inside. I mean, great. You have friends, wonderful. We have small groups. It's great. But we exist for people that aren't here yet. We're not trying to make everybody a little bit more faithful so they'll be a little more faithful and we'll win faithfulness contests and just be faithful, faithful. We want to be fruitful. We want to see people come who are far from God and watch them walk in along a journey of wholeness and healing. And that's, and that's why we're digging. That's why we are digging. That's why we're going to two services. That's called digging. Because we're going to split the church, like, right down the middle. We're going from a 10 o'clock service, and in six weeks, we're going to go to a, a 9.30 and 11.15 service. And I won't see my friends anymore. No, you won't. You'll have to make new friends with new people. Because that's, that's why we're here. Yeah, I don't know if I like that very much. Well, that's fine. That's fine. But I'm not going to die on 9th and Court Street in Port Huron. I'm not going to build my casket while I'm still alive and pretend like God's going to award me someday for being a holding out to the end. No, man, there are people who need God. And right now, like this room is way too full. It's just, it's just way too full. A visitor walk in here who, who's far from God, and they, they're already feeling judged, even though we're not judging them. And then they got to trip past a few of you to find a seat. <laughs> and our kids, like we have 40 chairs in our kids' room, and we have like 35 kids. So <laughs> that's not safe. And so, you know, I, like, I'm thinking something's going to fall over. We need to be careful with it. All right, guys, be super careful. I mean, you know, but th so, so, so what we're going to do is we're going to make the people who are here uncomfortable in order to create more space for people who are not yet here so they can get a front row seat to what God wants to do in their life. That's why we're digging. That's why. That's what digging is, by the way. It's, it's pulling up what, what you've been standing on. Like the very stuff that got them to where they were was the very stuff that was holding them back for where God was taking them. And your very ideology that got you to where you're at is the same thing God has to break up before you break through into a new place. And so that's why we're, we're, we're tearing up City Chapel. That's why we're cutting up. We're asking you guys to pick different services and, and find new friends and new faces. I'll still be here every service. So, you know, I mean, that's what really counts. And, uh, you know, so we have identical services. But, I mean, this means, this means we need twice as many volunteers. This means we need twice as many people doing hospitality, twice as many people doing that. We're, we're, we're having to build our teams all over the place. And why are we doing it? Coming out of the summer, right? The summer is usually a downtime for the church because we feel like God is about to do something. We, we feel that God is about to do something. We're going to create space for what he's doing. 
And I think God's already creating space for what he's doing. He's getting some dirt out. And I would suggest in your life, he's got to get some dirt out. There's some ways of thinking that you've had that's not going to work. If you're going to take the next step, there's some attitudes that you've held on to. There's some belief systems that you've held on to that are not going to work. If God's going to do, you're going to have the very thing that got you. You're going to have to take up the foundation of what you're standing on. Pull that away in order to create space. I mean, somebody need to create space in your schedule for God to actually be able to move. You're so busy, you don't have time to do anything for God, to attempt anything great for God because you're too busy thinking about your own life. And we need to create space in our finances because we don't have, we're too strapped. We don't have the ability to give to anything that God's doing. And so right off the bat, I mean, right here in August, this is what we're going to start digging tomorrow night, actually. Uh, we got 21 days of prayer. And this is where we jack up certainly my schedule because me and my family, I mean, every night we're going to be there praying from 6 o'clock to 7. And I would challenge you, if you're ready to go deeper with God, you, you need to come to those. It's in the worship guide. It's got a little thing and tells you where it's at. It's a, a, a whole house for a week, Monday through Friday, 6 to 7, for the next three weeks. And maybe not every night, but if you're serious, come every night. But I would, I would challenge you, disrupt. Disrupt your comfort level. Disrupt your valley. Disrupt what you've been standing on. Break up some, some habits and some ways of thinking. Break up some some. some Things that you've that you've that have gone crusty in your life and just solid, and it's like, no, I don't think that needs to be there. I need to make space for God to be able to bring something new into my life, and that's what prayer is. You don't pray so that God will do the stuff you want Him to do. You pray so that you create space in your life for Him to tell you who He is and what He wants for you to do. So, Lord, we come before you today, and we just commit ourselves to you. Lord, would you search us and know us. Search the areas of our valley that need broken up. The, vert that, the dirt that needs excavated. <laughs> that there is an excavation that needs to happen before, uh, before the, the deliverance that you're trying to bring, before the water that you're trying to bring. There's got to be an excavation based on an expectation, based on the expectation that we have in you. We're going to start excavating things. We're going to start pulling things out. And start removing things that block you and hinder you. We choose to focus on you, lift our, turn our, uh, uh, David, the psalmist said, I, I look to the hills from where my help comes. So while I'm digging, I won't be discouraged because I know my water doesn't come from my abilities. My water comes from you. My my job comes from you. My finances come from you. We expect great things from you. We expect great things from you. Your promises are great. Your history is great. Your capability is great. We expect great things from you, Lord, and we choose to attempt great things for you. We're going we're going we're going to attempt great things for you. We're going to step out in faith. We're going to do what you've called us to do. We're going to say yes to feed every single kid that needs fed, whether we have the resources or not. We're going to, we're, we're, 
we're, we're going to buy a bus and get tags on it and load it up with kids that we don't even, kids we don't even have yet, but kids are going to fill the bus because we expect great things from you and we're attempting great, we're, we're creating the emptiness, Lord. We're, we're getting the empty seats. We're creating the empty vans, the empty buses, the empty schedules. Uh, we're, we're, we're creating a whole bunch of emptiness for you to fill because we expect great things from you done a lot greater things than this and you have so much more that you want to do in us and through us well, forgive us for limiting you based on our imagination and, 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 and really just trying to figure out how things are going to go and setting our sails accordingly Lord forgive us for, 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 for licking our finger putting it to the wind deciding whether or not we'll be obedient to you whether or not we'll step out forgive us for hedging our bets for complaining about our hand before we see the flock. <laughs> for complaining about what we've got before we see what you, you're bringing to us. 